All right, everybody. It is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Okay, so Mosh, apparently I mispronounced Saki yesterday. And I mentioned this because this is the conventional way that I've always said it. And I imagine that other people say it like this also. But one of our mm-hmm. listeners messaged me and said that it is actually pronounced Sake. If that's correct. Sake. 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 So I, I guess I've been Are saying Are we sure we incorrect- have that right? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. (laughs) Jill, I think it's important for us to acknowledge when we get things wrong here on the (laughs) podcast. So um, if we're going to get anything wrong, uh, I'll take a pronouncer any day of the week. All right, let's get to some headlines, shall we? Let's start with air safety. The FBI arrested a man for trying to take an explosive device in his luggage. And the FAA is investigating a couple of near collisions. I'm glad this news is coming out on the end of my vacation, as opposed to before I was about to take a bunch of flights. Though we will have some reassuring statistics for everyone on the podcast today. Um, A political shakeup in Chicago, where Mayor Lori Lightfoot lost her bid for re-election. What this could mean for other big cities. Georgia football star Jalen Carter is charged in a crash that killed two people. How the U.S. compares to other countries when it comes to paternity leave. Do we really want to know? Not good, folks. (laughs) TikTok setting a time limit for teen users. And the viral debate sparked when President Biden and Jill Biden ordered the same dish at a restaurant. Mosh, some people say this is absolutely unacceptable. And some people say this is the only way to live because (laughs) you should go with whatever your heart desires. It's an interesting debate, Jill, that has uh, inundated the inbox. We'll go through it later in this episode. Okay, and of course, Mosh is on this day in history. What do you have for us? The hills are alive with the sound of music, Jill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love it. Okay, let's start, though, with a couple of aviation stories. A Pennsylvania man will be in court today after checking a piece of luggage earlier this week equipped with an explosive device at Pennsylvania's Lehigh Valley International Airport Monday. That suspect, Mark Muffley, was set to take an Allegiant flight from eastern Pennsylvania to Orlando. The explosive device hidden in the bag's lining was a circular compound, just three inches in diameter. It had two fuses and powder concealed in wax paper and plastic wrap, according to the criminal complaint. The bag also had a can of butane, a lighter, and a pipe with white powder residue. An airport spokesperson said the suspicious package was discovered shortly after 11 a.m. Monday, and part of the airport's main terminal was shut down. Muffley was paged over the airport's public system to come to the security desk. Five minutes later, security cameras showed him leaving the airport. He was then arrested at his home Monday night, according to the FBI. Yeah, I have questions, by the way, Jill. Some people are asking, like, wait, so you find a bomb in somebody's luggage, and you're like, will uh, Mr. Muffley please come to the front desk? <laughs> well, apparently that didn't work. He went home. Uh, they arrested him at home. He's a <laughs> It's a very good point. <laughs> I'm just saying, protocol-wise, we were talking about it. Like, is that what you do when you find, you know, like, I feel like you should find him in the airport and not just, like, Call them over the pieces. I'm like, oh, I wonder what they want. To I wonder what they want from me. Oh, are they bumping me up to first class? <laughs> exactly, first class. 
for about 40 years in a penitentiary. He's a 40-year-old Pennsylvania native. He is charged now with possession of an explosive in an airport and possessing or attempting to place an explosive or incendiary device on the aircraft. So, Jill, we'll watch those court proceedings later today in Pennsylvania. We're also watching this other bit of aviation news. Right now, U.S. aviation officials are investigating two more alarming flight near disasters where planes just missed each other. On Monday, a business jet took off without clearance at Boston Logan Airport, forcing an incoming JetBlue flight to go around. In a go-around, pilots add power, climb back up, and then set up for another attempt to land. And then last week, over at Hollywood Burbank Airport near L.A., a Mesa Airlines regional jet went around a SkyWest flight that was cleared for takeoff. The Mesa aircraft was only about one mile from the runway at that point. This is just two weeks after the FAA announced a safety call to action. So there are these incidents. We've heard about a few recently, these near misses that air traffic controllers are uh, very aware of and are there to ensure these things don't happen. Though we should note that the number of serious runway incidents in recent years has been trending down over the past two decades. In the past couple of years, it's hecked up by just a couple of these incidents. But I linked to a chart on my Instagram account. Right now, we have about 20 of these incidents a year out of about 10 million flights. So literally a two in a million chance of you uh, being on these uh, near-miss situations. But the safety record, pretty pretty close to 100% there over the last decade. Uh, and again, it appears that the air traffic controllers in these cases have been able to catch things before it's too late. And also back to that first story that we were talking about, kudos to the TSA officer, you know, who did a routine screening and figured out that there was some type of explosive device in a suitcase. Yeah, Jill, oftentimes when you check the luggage, you don't even know what happens behind the scene there. It just goes kind of goes on that um, on that belt and then off the plane. And uh, it's great to know that they're scanning all that luggage. You and I know all too well um, when we check anything having to do with our podcast, like the microphone uh, <laughs> or anything like that, it sets off all types of alarms. We do know that the TSA definitely will not let us through with a podcast microphone without <laughs> double checking it. So I'm glad to see that they're finding actual explosives as well. Okay, now let's head to Chicago, your hometown, Mosh, and a political shakeup that could be a bellwether for other big cities. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot lost her bid for re-election, ending her historic run as the city's first black woman and first openly gay person to serve in that position. She's also the first full-term incumbent to lose re-election as Chicago's mayor since 1983. Lightfoot is a Democrat. She only got 17% of the vote, which is not enough to move on to the runoff election. So what happened here? Political analysts say this is mostly about a spike in crime in the city, a top concern for Chicagoans fed up with gun violence, carjackings and robberies. In a recent poll, 63 percent of residents say that they don't feel safe, which is pretty incredible. Um, up next, though, it is looking like residents will be choosing between Paul Vallis. He's a Democrat who ran on tougher crime laws. And then Brandon Johnson, a Cook County commissioner who is endorsed by the Chicago Teachers Union, who is running on a more progressive agenda. Neither candidate met that 50 percent threshold. So their runoff election set for April 4th. Jill, notably, the last time this happened 40 years ago, uh, it was another female mayor, the first female mayor, Jane Byrne, who lost to a daily uh, daily, the father, daily, the son, basically collectively have run Chicago for about 50 years. Uh, and in between, we've had a couple other mayors in Chicago. Uh, and Chicago politics is always interesting. Jane Byrne, that previous mayor, she won because the previous mayor couldn't plow the snow effectively. 
Always a big issue in Chicago. As far as Lori Lightfoot, though, and her four-year term, she has been a lightning rod since taking office, clashing with the teachers' unions, clashing with the police, clashing with the media, clashing with basically everybody. Uh, She had never held political office, elected office, before becoming mayor of the third largest city in the country. So that was a challenge. And then, of course, add to that COVID, uh, school closures. Chicago schools were some of the last to reopen uh, during the pandemic. And then you had this split field. She was running against eight other candidates on Tuesday. She was actually among seven black candidates competing for votes among the city's black population. And she actually was asked about this uh, on Wednesday as to what she blames her loss on. And she mentioned, by the way, well, I'm a black woman and people have an issue with that. That said, Johnson, one of the two who made the runoff also happens to be black. Ultimately, though, it really did come down to crime, as you mentioned, the top issue for more than 40% of Chicago voters. As you mentioned, two out of three Chicagoans don't feel safe. When you break it down by race, 84% of black Chicagoans don't feel safe. And about half of Latinos and white residents of the city also don't feel safe. Right now, Chicago has a higher per capita homicide rate than New York or L.A. The number of homicides in Chicago hit a 25-year high in 2021. And other crimes like carjackings, robberies have also increased during her term. There's an iconic photo that I posted on Instagram of the bridges. If you know Chicago or the Chicago River, they have these bridges that uh, go up and down as boats pass in the water. And there were several times in the past uh, couple of years that they raised the bridges overnight as a security measure. Um, and that was significant. It's basically just putting your hands up in the air, being like, there's nothing I can do to stop crime in the city besides like literally cut off one part of the city from another part of the city. Jill, and it comes as Chicago's not alone here. And that's one of the reasons we're talking about this today. San Francisco recently ousted their progressive district attorney, a guy named Chesa Budin, who was recalled in an election last year, fueled by frustration in San Francisco over public safety, rising crime. In LA recently, we were watching that mayoral race. That was two Democrats also debating rising crime rates and how to deal with homelessness there. And in New York City, voters elected Eric Adams as mayor a couple of years ago. He is a former city police captain who pledged to fix the department and invest more in crime prevention. Also in Philadelphia, candidates running for mayor this year are debating how to curb gun violence. Moshe, I guess the bottom line is, if you don't feel safe, nothing else really matters, right? Exactly. You saw it in New York. You saw a debate in L.A. You see in San Francisco. Uh, right now, they're debating it in Philadelphia. And then you just saw the mayor of Chicago go down over it. And so it's a it's a big issue in these big cities. And we'll continue to follow it. OK, Jill, before we get to the speed read, let's thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to start with Blinkist. I've been using the Blinkist app for more than a year now as a quick way to get summaries of books that I just don't have time to read or I need a quick refresher on. It's essentially audio Cliff's Notes, if you remember Cliff's Notes from school. Blinkist gives you summaries of books or podcast episodes in 15 minutes. I like to listen to them either on my commutes or while working out. Right now, Blinkist offers more than 5,500 books and podcast summaries, and it's a wide range of topics, parenting, communication, leadership, politics, They provide curated collections. It allows you to really grow a little bit more every day. Really easy, really quick. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for the Mo News audience. You can head over to Blinkist.com slash Mo News. That is B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink. Blinkist.com slash Mo News to start a seven-day free trial and get 25% off Blinkist premium membership. Again, that's Blinkist.com slash Mo News to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. 
We'd also like to introduce all of you to Apostrophe. It's another new MoNews sponsor. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team so you can get customized treatment for your skin. It is very convenient. Apostrophe offers virtual dermatology consultations, including for acne and dark spots. Sometimes getting a dermatology appointment can take a while. And this is really simple to use. It can be done from home. You answer several questions. You snap a few selfies. And then a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. We have a special deal for our audience. You get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash monews when you use our code monews. That's M-O-N-E-W-S. And you'll also get a discount on medication. Again, to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash monews and click get started. And then you could use our code monews at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only five bucks. Okay, time now for the speed read. Let's head overseas where at least 43 people are dead and dozens injured after two trains collided in Greece. So from CNN, rescue workers are searching for survivors after a head-on collision between two trains in central Greece about 200 miles north of Athens. And it's raising a lot of questions about the country's poor track record when it comes to railway safety. That passenger train was carrying more than 350 people when it collided with a freight train on Tuesday, shortly before midnight. Some news reports have them traveling at up to 100 miles per hour at the time of the collision. The passenger train had changed lanes and switched to the cargo track which means that those two trains were actually traveling on the same track for miles before colliding. Most of the passengers involved in the accident were young. Many of them were students. And there is now a question of how this happened. Greek police have arrested the station master at one of the local train stations, accusing him of death through negligence. He denies the charges and attributes the accident to a possible technical failure. Yeah, the Greek prime minister says they're going to figure out what caused the collision. Greece, we should note, has the has a pretty weak record when it comes to railway passenger safety compared to other countries in Europe. It actually has the highest railway fatality rate per uh, train miles over the past couple of years um, in Europe. The country's transport minister yesterday resigned, saying the system is not up to 21st century standards and said he owed it out of memory for the lost ones uh, to resign uh, his position. From USA Today, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland faced a grilling by the Senate Wednesday, question on everything from the federal investigation into Hunter Biden to the sale of deadly drugs and other FBI investigations. Garland stressed that he will not interfere with the Delaware U.S. Attorney's ongoing investigation into Hunter Biden. It is focused on taxes and other issues. He said, I have pledged not to interfere with that investigation, and I have carried through on my pledge. Garland reiterated that the U.S. attorney in Delaware, David Weiss, has full authority to carry out the investigation and to bring in another jurisdiction if necessary. He also says that it would be a national security problem if President Biden's son had been receiving payments from a foreign government as a means to influence the administration. As of now, though, the investigation is focused on Hunter Biden's failure for years to pay a federal income tax bill that eventually amounted to about a million dollars and a false statement that Hunter Biden allegedly made about his drug use when purchasing a gun in 2018. Hunter Biden has said he is confident that the investigation will clear him of wrongdoing. Yeah, this is a big deal for Republicans, and uh, they always enjoy an opportunity to uh, grill Merrick Garland, the attorney general. It got contentious at a couple moments there. Of course, there's the Hunter Biden situation, 
they also talked about the uh, multiple investigations uh, into both Presidents Biden and Trump on classified documents. Uh, that's up to a special counsel right now. So Garland didn't have much to say about that. One thing that did get a lot of attention, though, Jill, we should note on Wednesday, was fentanyl and illegal drugs in the country. Garland said that it's a horrible epidemic, but it's an epidemic that's been unleashed on purpose by various cartels, including the Sinaloa and Jalisco cartels, to kill Americans. Uh, Garland said that Mexico is not doing enough to combat drug trafficking. They're helping, but they could do much more, he said. There's no question about that. And that's one of the few issues, uh, again, during the hearing that both Democrats and Republicans were both especially concerned about. From ESPN, former Georgia star Jalen Carter, one of the top prospects in next month's NFL draft, has been charged with reckless driving and racing in connection with a crash that killed a teammate and a recruiting staff member. The athens Clark County, Georgia Police Department has issued an arrest warrant which alleges that Carter was racing his 2021 Jeep Trackhawk against the 2021 Ford Expedition that was being driven by the recruiting staffer, 24-year-old Chandler LaCroix, which led to that January 15th wreck. Devin Willock, who is an offensive lineman for the Bulldogs, and LaCroix both were killed in what police initially reported was a single vehicle accident. The announcement came on Wednesday, just hours after the newspaper down there, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, reported that Carter was present at the scene of the crash and later provided shifting accounts of the wreck to police. Authorities believe alcohol played a part in the crash back on January 15th. It came just hours after the Georgia Bulldogs football team celebrated their second consecutive national championship with a parade through campus. Right now, Jalen Carter is in Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. This is a huge event for teams to uh, watch all the uh, potential recruits that will be coming through the draft. And he was set to speak to the media. Uh, at this point, he has put out a statement, though, respond to the allegations, saying, it is my intention now to return to Athens to answer the misdemeanor charges against me and to make certain that the complete and accurate truth is presented. There is no question in my mind, he says, that when all the facts are known, that I will be exonerated of any criminal wrongdoing. But this has been uh, a huge controversy in the NFL world. And now that there are charges, it's, it's unclear what this means for his prospects and whether he gets drafted moving forward. From Axios, 63% of countries around the world provide guaranteed paid parental leave for fathers. This is according to a report from the World Policy Analysis Center. Back in the 1990s, only 46 countries had a paid leave policy for fathers, largely high-income nations. But now the number is nearly three times as high, notably absent from the list, the U.S. of A. Worth noting, the U.S., also one of just seven countries in the world, that doesn't guarantee paid maternity leave either. The other countries include the small island nations, Marshall Islands, Micronesia, Papua New Guinea, and Tonga. Yeah, we'll link to the map in the show notes. And this always shocks people, Jill, when they see like who's left, including the U.S., that doesn't offer these types of things. When we're talking about maternity leave, it's that small group you just mentioned. Paternity leave, though, um, there's still about you know, 50, 60 countries that don't offer it, including us. But most of them are in Africa uh, and Central Asia. Almost all of South America, all of Europe, half of Africa, uh, Russia, China, all offer paternity leave. And as you mentioned, uh, support has increased around the world just in the last 30 years. We've gone up to about 120 countries offering paternity leave. Numerous studies find that this benefits the economy, the fathers, and their partners. 
one professor from UCLA telling Axios, there's widespread recognition that we don't solve gender equality without dads getting leave. At the same time, Jill, though there is that growing support, there is still a stigma attached to some men who take time off to care for their children. So Alexis Ohanian, uh, Mr. Serena Williams, (laughs) he is married to Serena Williams. He's the CEO of Reddit. He has been really out front on this issue. And he took four months of paternity leave. He wanted to, when, when, their daughter was born. He wanted to really be an example. And he wrote about it um, in Fast Company. And I just want to read one line. He says, the implication that paternity leave is unimportant sets a dangerous precedent, one that suggests fathers are not an integral part of the child care unit and perpetuates the antiquated belief that mothers alone should be the primary caregivers. Worse, explicitly or implicitly telling a male employee that they're less of a man for taking time to be with their family after their child's birth is as stupid as it is outdated. Showing up is exactly what fathers should be doing for their families. Now is the time to eliminate the stigma associated with paternity leave once and for all. I agree. (laughs) As my husband pipes in. Jill, we should note that while federally the U.S. doesn't mandate uh, family leave, there are 13 states in D.C. that do have paid family leave policies, mainly in the Northeast, Uh, and then a few out west. And then there are obviously companies that do that individually. Though when we talk about these lists, uh, in most cases, these are mandated by countries writ large outside the US. TikTok back in the news. This from NPR. TikTok users under 18 will now automatically have a 60-minute daily screen time limit They can continue to use the app, though, if they enter a passcode. But the company says it will force users to make an active decision to extend the time. TikTok will also send every teen account a weekly recap of their screen time. And it will also prompt teen users who spend more than 100 minutes on the app to set a daily limit. It comes as social media companies face growing calls to better protect young people online And Moshe, as we've discussed, a reminder that in China, which is where ByteDance, which owns TikTok, is based, kids are limited to just 40 minutes a day on the app. And they're also shown a more educational version of the app. They've got science experiments to do at home, museum exhibits, patriotism videos and educational videos. All Yeah, sounds like a blast, uh, all according to a report (laughs) on 60 Minutes. And they also can't access the app between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. So yeah, so China's education with the side of indoctrination, it appears. So not not exactly the system we would love here. At the same time, it is clear TikTok is feeling the pressure here to institute this daily screen limit that's sort of a limit. You know, they please enter this passcode if you would like to continue. Uh, though they will make it apparently more difficult for kids under 13 to figure out that passcode. I guess those passcodes will belong to the parents, according to one of the write-ups I read. It's like when Netflix is like, are you still watching? Yes, Netflix, leave me alone. (laughs) That's exactly what TikTok... TikTok is going to try to make you feel guilty about the time you feel guilty, which I guess will get some people off. But reading through the lines here, you know, it's not not exactly a screen time limit in the way that, like, you have to get off the app. That Chinese app you mentioned, by the way, is called Doyun. It's also owned by ByteDance, the parent company um, in China. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how TikTok emulates that in any way or uh, continues to kind of take its own path since it's the global version of that Chinese version. It does come, as we know, as depression rates have been surging among teens, specifically among teen girls. And research shows that limiting screen time can make young people feel better about themselves. 
The company says it settled on the 60-minute default limit, and I'm using air quotes here, folks, 60 limits, uh, so to speak, after consulting academic researchers and experts over at the Digital Wellness Lab at Boston Children's Hospital, though they admit that there's no collectively endorsed position on the right amount of screen time or even the impact of screen time more broadly, but they thought they should do this because, you know, it's good politics. And as we mentioned yesterday, they have a big hearing coming up on Capitol Hill in a couple of weeks. And Mosh, now onto a viral debate. This from the Washington Post. The Bidens ordered the same dish at a restaurant. Who does that? When President Biden and Jill Biden recently dined out in Washington at the popular Red Hen in Bloomingdale, their order, a chicory salad, grilled bread and butter, and two bowls of rigatoni drew attention and ultimately set off a virtual food fight. It wasn't what they ate exactly that got people all worked up. It was the mere fact that they both ordered the same entree. Okay, oh, no. <laughs> Mosh, I know you posed this question on the Instagram account. Is it okay to order the same thing as your partner? What did you find out? So the way I asked the question, Jill, and um, as I look at the results right now, we're at about 11,000 votes so far. Is it okay to order the same thing as your partner? That's the way I asked it. And obviously, when you poll, you could ask it different ways. 62%, two out of three of uh, the Monus community say, yes, why is this even a question? Of course, it's okay to order the same thing as your partner. A quarter said, fork no. That was the answer. <laughs> fork no. Got to diversify your orders. And then about 12% said, Mosh, who cares? Please get back to the news. So that was the, that was the mix. Basically, two-thirds of people saying... Uh, it's okay to order the same thing. And a third of people uh, effectively saying, uh, no, you got to diversify your order. Jill, where do you stand on this discussion? Mosh, no judgment on people who order the same things, but I like to diversify my order for my husband's. I like to have something different. That way we could taste two different things. I completely agree with you, Jill. I was actually surprised, and some people are surprised at the results so far in the poll, the number of people who are like, no, it's totally cool to order the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel bad. I feel guilty for ordering the same thing. Unless, I mean, listen, there are exceptions to the rule, which is if it's a place you're going to and you know that they do one thing so incredibly well, then sure, go for it. And that's been the opinion of a few people. But if you're going to like a brand new restaurant and it's, you know, it's known, you know, to like have a few different things or it looks like a good menu, you got to go with the half and half approach. <laughs> Though it's interesting, Jill, the, the number of people who are messaging me about like, you know, that like in their family, like they have a dad who like, like refuses to order the same thing as anyone at the table. And there's six of them. And I'm like, that's crazy. And then there's like, there's people who like explain to me how their divorce was reinforced by their spouse who would insist on ordering the same thing or ordering a different thing or wouldn't let them order the same thing. I mean, this is a, this is quite a debate uh, in people's households. I'm also wondering, grilled bread and butter. Talk to me about that yeah. part of their order. I have not been to this restaurant. So <laughs> I, I mean, is that just like a fancy way of saying like the bread, bread basket, basket? <laughs> or toasted bread? <laughs> or is it like garlic bread without the garlic? So that's what that is. I mean, I, I guess I have to put this place on my list. And given that both Bidens ordered it, that's significant. I also heard from somebody who works in the service industry, who was a waiter for many years, and said that they noticed that as couples aged up, they would start to order the same thing. They noticed among older couples that this was much more common than younger couples. So maybe that's, you know, wisdom with age over time. You're just like, what's the <laughs> point of changing things up if you know that they do one great thing? Just double up on it, man. Stick with what works. Stick with what makes there you, you happy. Go. 
There you go. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I think I posted the uh, poll sometime Wednesday afternoon. So you, uh, if you're listening to this podcast before about 2 or 3 p.m., you can still vote. All right, Jill, that brings us to On This Day in History. We're going to start with a country close to my heart and my heritage. 67 years ago today, Morocco proclaimed independence from France on this day in 1956. The Sultan Mohammed V, King Mohammed V, formed his government. This, of course, Morocco is where my family is from. Uh, my dad was born there, and they lived there till the mid-60s. Okay, fast forward to the 1980s. Here's a moment. 40 years ago today, Sony introduced the first CD player in the U.S. Most, do you remember if the CD would not play or if it was skipping, you would take it out and like blow on it and then put it back in and miraculously it would work? <laughs> yeah, it, it, all, all these things we used to have to do. I mean, I, I, for the CD, I, I saw recently a meme about how Gen Z will never understand the following photo. And it's a photo of a tape cassette and a pencil. You know how like sometimes the, <laughs> yes. like the tape, like it would like, you know, like it would it would get messed up and you would take a pencil to like roll up the uh, tape cassette. Um, I was curious because, like, you know, it feels we feel so far removed from the CD um, era. But peak CD sales, Jill, 2001, when we were selling about people were buying about a billion CDs a year. So we're only 20 years removed from kind of peak CD. And that would then collapse through the 2000s with the rise of digital music, Napster, etc. Um, and then obviously in the streaming era post-2010. But CDs build up from that moment 40 years ago through really in the 90s is when they explode in 2001, peak CD. Jill, I should mention, I worked in Best Buy in high school and uh, big deal was the uh, discount there. I would get on CDs and we installed 10 disc changers in uh, all of our uh, family vehicles where you could put like 10 CDs and like flip through them. Do you remember those? Most, you guys are so fancy. I feel like I had five in my car and I thought that was a very, very big deal. You can't beat the employee discount in the 90s at Best Buy, Jill. It allowed us to upgrade to a fancy 10. Though who could ever get around to that many that many CDs? Uh, a couple celebrity birthdays that we're celebrating today. Daniel Craig, aka James Bond, one of the James Bond through history, uh, is 55. John Bon Jovi turns 61 today. Rebel Wilson, the actress, is 43, and Luke Combs is 33. And we'll end here on this day in 1965, 58 years ago today, The Sound of Music was released starring Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer. It would go on to win multiple Oscars. It was actually based on a 1949 memoir by Maria von Trapp titled The Story of the Trapp Family Singers. Of course, Rodgers and Hammerstein would give us that music and the uh, classic continues. I mean, Jill, are you still watching it in your household? No, we've never watched it, actually. I mean, I've seen it, but my daughter has not. So perhaps it's time to try it out. I'm very curious if my daughter will like it. It's time to introduce her to a few of your favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> well, nicely done there, Mosh. Try my best. Edelweiss. Um, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please follow us and subscribe <laughs> so you don't miss a single episode. Do it. You can do it on your app right now. It's usually just the touch of a button. And review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Um, some really great reviews. Much appreciated. Yeah, Joe, we posted a couple of them on, on Instagram yesterday. So, so grateful for the kind words. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Moshe, M-O-S-H-E-H. See everyone tomorrow. But if you've made it this far, listen in the next few seconds for the sounds of Jill's daughter. Okay, bye, everyone. You're listening to the Bone News Podcast. Peace. <laughs>